and welcome back to another episode of Drama School Dropout. This week it's episode 67 and as per usual my name is Ingram Noble and I am your resident Drama School Dropout. And this week I am joined by an amazingly talented actress who most of us will know as one of Litchfield's favourite prison guards. Please welcome to the podcast, Catherine Curtin. Drama School Dropout No graduation day Hello, how are you? I'm good, I'm good. Hello, how are you? Hello. Yeah, let's Hello. pretend we just haven't had a conversation and have already spoke to each other. <laughs> I don't know what we just said to each other. It was just, who knows? Um, so what I like to ask everyone that comes on the podcast is how did you get into acting and what was your first ever role? And it doesn't have to be a professional one. It could be a school play. Uh, we love a nativity story, anything like that. Oh, a nativity story. I don't, I don't think I did anything with the nativity. Wow, a nativity story. No, that would not have been me <laughs> for good or the bad. Uh you know, I, I got into it because I, I was in high school and my dad was uh, dying of cancer and my mom did not want me to spend every afternoon at the hospital and she wanted to spend every afternoon at the hospital. So uh, there was this theater company, this professional children's theater company, and I had it, they did musicals and I don't sing. I'm like totally tone deaf. Same. And so I did nothing, but like I was on the side like with a puppet, you know, like mouthing all the words. I mean, it was really ridiculous. But, you know, as my family was disintegrating, it was a family that I was able to be a part of. Yeah. And um, I think that that's really what, it was really the people that drove me to this business, to this industry. It was, it was really my love of the performers and the plays and the musicals and um, all of the, all of the players, all, all of the, the the whole thing just seemed like, um, you know, an energy, a euphoric, existential energy, frenzy, um, you know, party. And the amount of energy that was really going out on stage, especially was so, to me, so brilliant. Um, so, so I just, I think I just sort of fell in love with the life yeah. of it and the people. And then I went away to college and I didn't really find anything in college that I loved more. And so, you know, I just came back and I live in New York. I'm a New Yorker, I'm a native. So uh, it was sort of, this isn't one of the industry towns, you know, I mean, it's not LA, but it is an industry town. And yeah, I just sort of pursued it because, you know, I also live here and I've been going to the theater from the time I could sit still and, you know, I was taken to the theater by my family. My mom and dad loved the theater. And um, my dad, really, I think he thought he was Yul Brenner because we used to go to see The King and I, which Yul Brenner starred in. I think we went every Friday night for like a year. <laughs> we just got tickets every single Friday night. <laughs> and New family tradition. It was a family tradition. We would go and then we'd go to, you know, the stage deli and we'd have hot corned beef sandwiches and matzo ball soup. And, you know, it was just our it was like who we were so it was just something that i i thought this is just what i'll do and you know i think a life in this business is is a very different thing i i, I wouldn't mm. i wouldn't recommend it for the faint of heart i didn't oh. really know what i was getting into you know yeah just i didn't know that about your dad and i'm very sorry to hear that but ah, thank you i want to ask this question that's kind of just come to my head because i've been thinking about it a lot recently 
um my grandma is getting older now and um she introduced me to a soap opera in britain well there was two and they're called coronation street and eastenders and while because as i said we just had our industry showcase we were talking about things that if we got agents and they said right what do you actually want to do i all my first answer was i would love to be in coronation street or eastenders because i would love for my grandma to be able to see me because that would be like in her eyes you've made it yeah 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 so i just wanted to ask there did your dad ever get to see you on stage if he loved the theater and things like that did he ever get to see you perform when i was in high school uh, i went to a high school where you could sort of it was a catholic high school and i think they were so afraid of being like you know overtly catholic (laughs) that it was very very lenient and um you know nothing like bad catholic girls right so um (laughs) they um so we would do so i just started putting on plays with friends and um my dad saw me do we put on a production of arsenic and old lace and i played one of the older women and sarah sweeney this really funny girl played um teddy roosevelt coming down the stairs I'll never forget how hysterical she was. It was an all-girls school, so we played all the roles and, you know, yeah. didn't matter. And I had all this age makeup on and it was so fun. And yeah, that my dad saw that. Yeah, and yeah. he took all these pictures of it. I was like, ridiculous. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's lovely to hear because uh, I think I've been doing my own reflecting and things like that. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of, I feel like it's fate that brought that up and it was something that just popped in the back of my head. There. You know, your mom could see the play that you put up or, you know, I mean, your grandma and, you know, I don't, I just, cause they watch, you know, I never did anything that my mom could ever watch. Yeah. You know, I mean, I was on orange is the new black and she thought I was doing a play the whole time. I mean, I <laughs> never told her what that show was. I could never have my mom watch that. So, you know, yeah. and I mean, I'm in the same boat with the play that I'm producing. It's very risky. Yeah, it's risky. So it doesn't, it's not like, you know, they don't, that's not why they love you. And one no, day they'll, yeah, but one day you'll do that thing. That they'll come to and they'll be so proud and, you know, and then, you know, the next day they'll get up and everybody will do their own thing again. It's, it's really about like in the long picture of looking at things, it's, it really has to be about you. Like yeah. there's no reason to do this industry unless it's something you have to do for yourself and yeah. to do for other people, you know, it's not your job to care about what other people think of you and you are not in this industry for other people. This is just as if you went to a widget factory and made widgets because that's what you wanted to do. And, you know, that, that is what this it's, it's, it has to, there's a much more basic approach to this that I think, you know, you can't worry about all that shiny stuff. Oh, trust me, she'd probably hate it anyway because it would ruin the illusion of her favorite TV shows. It's more for me that she brought me up on this stuff. But then she gets to tell all her girlfriends. I know, (laughs) I know. Yeah, it's more for me that I want to be in them for her. Yeah, just go for tea with her. You know, (laughs) she'll she'll like that better. Just take her out on a Sunday for brunch. Yeah. You were talking about college. While I was doing my research, um, I I could only find that you went to college. I couldn't find where you went to college or what you studied. Did you go to college for acting and theater? I went to Princeton University. I I went because I I got in. You know, I, I did not study. There was no real serious program there. I did... I did do a lot of 
plays with my friends and adapted Joyce's Ulysses to the stage, the Penelope episode. And I performed it as a one woman show. And I, you know, I was in my heyday of, you know, everybody was doing Marat Saad and, you know, it's all those college productions that like are completely uncommercial and Ionesco and, but, you know, that's what just the joy of doing them. And um, I graduated from there, but I don't think I would recommend it at least at the time I went there as a school to go to, if you want to go into the arts, there was some really great uh, people there, but a university like that is, is much more for, you know, like engineers or scientists or economics or finance people or lawyers or something. I, I, you know, I was just a total, you know, complete didn't make sense at all. So I hung out with all of the artists and revolutionaries and philosophers that were all dressed in black leather. I never dressed in so much black leather in my life until I went to Princeton. Full wardrobe. Yeah. And we go to bars and we'd sit around talking about Heidegger and, uh, you know, and Immanuel Kant and, you know, intellectually it was fabulous, but I don't think it from an acting point of view, I don't think there was anything, you know. One of my favorite things to ask is, because I absolutely love them, uh, funny theater anecdotes that people have. And you said that you were involved in some plays and things. Do you have any funny theater stories or crazy theater stories? Because we've all been in those rooms and crazy stuff happens. So much crazy stuff happens. I was doing a reading once of this play. This was just a reading. It was not a production. And this girl sat sat down and I didn't know her very well. And she had just had a breast enlargement and they were definitely really beautiful. But she was... (laughs) In the play, she was supposed to breastfeed this baby. And this is a reading, right? It's not a production. So she whips him out to breastfeed a a, a non-existent baby. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I love you so much. They are so beautiful. But this is a reading. There's no baby. And this play is not even about you breastfeeding, but that's okay. And then I was I was um, doing this other um, play downtown. And the it was a very tiny little theater and it was really a fun production. It was really a fabulous young company, a fabulous group of people. And I'm like just divine, artistically, spiritually divine people. But this theater was part of a, an underground sort of like passageway built in, you know, I don't know, the 1900s or something where the meat was delivered for the blocks restaurants through this passageway and this passageway went right through the theater. So in the middle of rehearsal, like in would come like an entire, you know, pig, the lamb, <laughs> like all of these huge dead animals would just be traped through by the butchers and you just keep going and like that would and then go to down to that restaurant and then it would go to that restaurant because a lot of the there are tunnels underneath a lot of the old 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 buildings where the buildings connect and that's how deliveries were made and so I thought it was so hysterical I just thought okay there there goes the side of lamb you know and (laughs) but it was great. I mean, it makes a great it makes a great venue for an adaptation of Animal Farm. Yeah, it really does. It would it would be so perfect. It would be it would be total perfection. But um, I don't know. So many funny things. Mm. I was doing a reading with Ann Mira once, fabulous comedian, Ben Stiller's mom, and um, there was this was an I worked in every rat trap theater in New York City, and this was in this theater, and we're sitting there and a rat just goes scurrying across our, uh, by our feet as we're like reading this play. And Ann Mira just stands up and goes, rehearsal's over. 
and, and <laughs> walk. Me. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, like when you're in the theater, there's so much that happens because unless you're doing one of the really big venues, if you're yeah. doing any of these little theaters, it's all like the dressing room is the box office, which is also the bathroom, which is, you know. Also the meat delivery place. The meat delivery place. I mean, it's ridiculous, but yeah. It's just, it's a, it's a very joyful experience. I love it. You know, if you're going to be poor, like be poor in the theater, you know, yeah. I wish poverty on no one, but in the theater, you know, at least if you're not making a living, you actually are living a very beautiful existence on some level. I think it's really hard to do today. You know, when I was young, you could live in New York, you could get a, a little apartment in New York in Chelsea for, you know, $600 a month. So, you know, you could wait tables, you know, a couple of nights a week and you'd cover your nut. Mm. But now in New York City, I don't know how anybody can do anything where, you know, they're putting all their effort into their passions and not into, you know, making a living to pay an exorbitant rent. While also I was doing my research yesterday and I found an article in it, maybe complete BS. Um, and it was you talking about the power of yes and how you love to say yes to things and it's something that somebody said to me years ago somebody was like I asked somebody for help on something and they didn't need to help me or it was completely unrelated to the acting industry and they said I believe in the power of yes and if I can do it I'll help it because it's like karma and good things so I to this day try to live my life by that and would suggest everyone do that what has been the coolest thing that has happened to you purely just by saying yes to something just getting to do that thing probably you know i mean i there was a very small part in uh, an indie film that i just got this offer on and the agents i was with at the time told me that um i should say no that it wasn't up to my standards or whatever and I was like, oh, well, let me read it. And I got an offer and it's a Saturday and a Sunday. And I don't happen to be working on that Saturday or yeah. Sunday. So why don't I read it? And I read it. And this was the funniest, stupidest script I've ever read in my life. Like beyond stupid, like a whole nother level of stupid. <laughs> a, set, a level of comedy that women, women are not allowed to do Will Ferrell comedy. There, you know, there's only a few women that are allowed to be the Melissa McCarthy's that are allowed to be that level of complete and utter like whack comedy. It's really something that we have not broken into because I don't know, women aren't, it's not feminine or I don't know what it is. But anyway, this was the stupidest script. And I was like, I have to do it. It is the stupidest <laughs> script I've ever read. I, and so they were like, oh, it's so beneath you. I was like, okay, whatever. So I did it for $125 a day. And I met some people who were shooting that film and like three months later, they called me up and offered me the lead in another film that I won't mention the name of. And that film has done incredibly well and been one of the, you know, was this great, fantastic engine for, you know, it, it paid me fabulously. Um, you know, I had a fabulous time shooting it. It uh, wasn't, you know, it was in all of the biggest, biggest festivals. I was just like, okay, so if you live by yes, and you don't listen to what other people have to say about something, you decide what something is, you know, you never know where things go. You just don't know where things go. And I think it's always better to wander over to somebody's ball field 
And, you know, even if you're, you know, sitting on the bench, then to sit at home, like you got yeah. to, to be in it, to win it. And, you know, winning it means you're working that that's what winning it to me is. So this girl found me and she was like, will you do my film? I need you for like six hours on a Sunday. And I was like, uh, okay. So I went and I shot her film. We shot on the river and it was such a fun shoot. And then I had to go shoot TV that week. And it was so inspiring. Like I took that shoot that I shot with all these Columbia people or NYU people. I took the inspiration, the passion, the unbridled joy of shooting, just like guerrilla shooting. We were stealing shots. We were stealing shots out of a CVS. We were using the CVS lighting to light the shot. I mean, it was ridiculous. And I, I, it was freezing cold. That inspired me all week to just go to my TV set and be like, okay, what are we doing? <laughs> you know, how fun. Say yes to what brings you joy. And yeah. don't, don't worry about like, oh, it's so-and-so or such-and-such such, or it's this money or that money. The money will come if you create the passion. And yeah. if your passion for what you do has, uh, is, is enabled. My mom always says, always say yes to things and never take a day off because you never know who's gonna, who you're going to run into. You never know who's going to be there. You never know who's going to see you do something and you never know who's going to be able to offer you your next job. I think your mom is completely correct. And I think she's right. And, you know, I think that's very true, but I do think you should take a day off occasionally. I think it's really important. <laughs> I, I think she means when I phone her and say, I really can't be bothered to go to class tomorrow. She's more like, no, don't take a day off. You don't know who's going to be there. You can now become an official drama school dropout. We're now on Patreon and you can help this podcast grow on so many levels. As an official drama school dropout, you'll have access to unique benefits, including exclusive early access to episodes before anyone else. To become an official drama school dropout, please go to www.patreon.com forward slash drama school dropout. I, I do want to talk to you about um, one of my favorite TV shows of all time. It shaped my life. It got me into more technical filming and, and that's Orange is the New Black. It really, oh, I love that. it has massively shaped it. It's one of my top 10 favorite TV shows. It's on my list that I revolve around. Start, I just finished watching it two weeks ago, like literally just to finish a rewatch. Um, what was the audition process like for that? Oh, that's so funny because I auditioned on a, a legal holiday. I think it's either Memorial Day or Columbus. They're, they're, we have these holidays in the U.S. where it's like a legal holiday. And they're always, there's one at the beginning of summer and there's one at the end of summer. And this was one at the end of summer. And I, I never know which one is which. But anyway, but everybody takes this day off because it's like you get that three-day weekend. It's the end of summer like nobody like nobody works nobody nobody if they can if they cannot work they're not working and that was the day that Monday that was a holiday was the day of my audition and I remember that so clearly I was doing a reading at a new play festival in the Hamptons um, that a girlfriend of mine ran and it was this fabulous like difficult like dark three hour you know intense play and I was like oh my god 
And I drove in that Monday morning and I sat in my car right near the audition and I was allowed to park there because it was a legal holiday because parking in New York is a nightmare. So I got lucky. I parked right in front of the building and I sat there with the material and I looked at it and I sat there like for an hour in my car looking at it. And then I went upstairs and nobody was there because it was a legal holiday. And the casting director comes out and she was so sweet, Jen Houston, and so sweet. And she comes out, she's like, nobody wanted to come in because it's a legal holiday. I couldn't get anybody to audition. And I mean, there were a few people because, you know, actors are actors, but I was like, I'm here. I'm, I'm happy. Holiday, you know, four o'clock in the morning, Christmas day, whatever. I'm here. And I got the job. And I think part of why I got the job was because I, I was like one of the first people to tape for that role. And I taped when they didn't have a lot of tape to look at. Yeah. And so, you know, there was a handful of us. And so the competition was really less, you know, I'm sure there was much more, there are much more fabulous people out there than I am, but I was willing to, I doubt that. I don't know, but I was willing to, you know, go on a holiday. And I remember I ran into an actor who he came back from like Puerto Rico for a callback. Um, and I was like, wow you came back for a callback. And he was like, yeah, I want the job. And I just thought people who are willing to like go with the flow on whatever's going down schedule wise, I think those are the people that actually for whom, you know, the song really sings. question i did have um ashley jordan on from orange is the new black oh. who played the young carol and i had matt peters loose check and a question that i always like to ask regarding orange is the new black is if you could have swapped roles and you could have been one of the prisoners <laughs> who would you have liked to have played i'm sure you've been asked that a million and one times i've never been asked that that's so funny i would have loved to have been a prisoner because I think my personality is probably much more deviant than it is you know <laughs> guard like you know I don't know that I would have wanted to have been anyone that was already there I kind of loved all of them yeah. I would have liked to have been my own you know and um but I always would I would have loved to have been a prisoner on that show I thought I thought the prisoners I thought that was just so awesome but you know what I what I tried to do and what I sought to do, which I thought sometimes I think the guards should be the prisoners and the prisoners should be the guards. Yeah. Is that what I sought to do was to make a person of authority who was really an inappropriate dictator, you know, and a, a woman of her, of circumstance. And so I think that that was in, in her own sense, I think she was as much a prisoner of that system as any of the prisoners in the system, because I think she would, it, it was not by choice that she yeah. was there as a guard. Yeah, no, completely agree. And who knows, you may get your chance to be a prisoner because season eight <laughs> could happen anytime soon. Like Genji Cohen, I'm waiting. Season eight could happen and we could see Wanda come back and be an orange. That'd be quite an interesting dynamic. I'm sure, I'm, I know there's a lot of fans no, I know there's a lot of fans who, who who think that. So we'll see. We'll see. Oh, I'd kill for it to come back. Like, literally. I was like, don't get me wrong. Happy with the ending. Happy with, apart from Tasty. Right? We, we, but we don't need to discuss that. Sure. Um, yeah. 
I, but I would love it to come back. Yeah, I miss it. I miss it every day. And I imagine that somebody who was working on it, that you miss it too. I, you know, the the good thing about um, what I do is that I, I'm like a rolling stone, you know, I just keep going. Um, since then, you know, I've done Stranger Things, I've done Insecure, I've done Homeland, I'm on a new Netflix show now, I've, I've done, I don't know, you know, yeah, so I don't, I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't, I don't miss any one job, I just always miss working, like, yeah. I don't, I don't really judge it by the job, I just judge it that I, I love I love to go to set like every day shooting is a good day and I don't really care on some level what I'm shooting. I just want to shoot and I want to, I want to see what people are doing with the cameras. I want to watch what actors are doing with their work. I want to see how, you know, I was shooting last week and I really thought that the ghost in the room with the scene was one thing and I was barely in the shot, but I, I watched and I really felt like the director, who I thought was quite brilliant, made the scene about something completely utter, other other than what I thought of. I was like, how did you, that makes yeah. such perfect sense to me. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and that's what I want to, like, I, I, I think if I was to do it again, and I would go to film school and I, I would love to be a filmmaker. You know, I love, like one of the most fascinating things for me about working on Stranger Things is they have a lot of money. So mm. they get lots of toys and what they do with those cameras and what they do with the way the cameras fly and the way the cameras, the movement of the camera. I think the movement of the camera on Stranger Things is one of the most exciting ever uh, mm-hmm. shoots that I could be on in terms of like, and they're like, the, the camera will sweep over and it'll sweep down and it will cover the action on like like half a block down and then come back and, and then it's going up and then it's coming down and then it's passing by you. And just as it passes by you, you have to do your line or whatever it is. And then it keeps going to somewhere else. And it's like, it's like being part of a dance, a, a choreographed movement. And, mm. you know, the Duffer brothers are the most gentle, fabulous people. And, you know, they say things like, um, sorry, I don't know. I don't think any, I'm not expecting anybody, so I'm not answering that door. But the, the, the Duffer brothers, all right, maybe I better. But the Duffer brothers are like, they're so, they're so lovely and charming. And they'll say th- things like, feel the camera, Kathy, feel the camera. You can feel it. You can feel the camera, feel the camera as it, as it comes by you. And, <laughs> and, 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 you know, I'm just, I, I, I'm like, okay, so I don't need to be anything on this other than that person who that at that moment of that day, I'm learning something about the camera that, you know, I'm walking on air for mm-hmm. uh, quite a while after that, when I, when I, when I learned to feel the camera, because I love the camera and I love working on camera. Uh, but, uh, but I think that the theater, it definitely, it connects you with the essence of what it is that, that we do in a way that you can't fake because that audience breathes what you breathe. Yeah. And so I think that it it is really, um, it's, it's a fabulous playground. You know, I, I, I love the theater. I, I, I went to a, 
a play last night and um, it was the first play that I've been to since COVID because I'm not really supposed to be going into large rooms full of people, but this was a very small theater and- Was it good? Was it worth it? It was really fabulous. It was called Shh by Claire Barron. And um, it was just, it was, it was just like going, it was very experimental. It was very avant-garde theater, um, theater as a dominant expression of the soul uh, you know, wasn't about being a perfect play. Like it wasn't that. about artistic perfection. It was about the communion of, of, of us together. And it was, it was really, yeah, it was really good. It was really, I, I was very, I felt very blessed. That kind of hit me down there, there, where you said a dominant expression of the soul. I was like, oh, I felt that. I, I've never had theater described like that. Yeah, I think I remember once I was doing a play and it, there was this brilliant monologue. It was like a two-page monologue. And, you know, I, I finally got enough pace up to do the monologue, like real pace. And I remember I had paced up so much that when it came to the, the sort of that final moment, um, that moment just spilled out. And the audience had... Um, they, their hearts had taken the pace of the monologue at that moment when it spilled out, boom, like exhaled. It was so unbelievable. It was like, it was like the most magic, fascinating moment in life that I, yeah, magic that, that, you know, it was like a feeding frenzy of energy, of energy, mm -hmm. of transportative, transcommunication uh, energy. Mm -hmm. it was unbelievable I, I love that that's that's really I'm going to be in like in my class tomorrow and be like to my lecturer I was talking to this actress last night she's called Catherine Curtin and she described what we do as a, a dominant expression of the soul I can't wait to do that tomorrow um but we're, we're coming to the end of the podcast now and what I like to round off with is a game and it's called stage right or stage shite and they are my favorite things ever they are funny theater anecdotes that have been sent in by our listeners two of them are the truth the whole truth and nothing but the truth so they're stage right and one has been made up by our producer heather so i don't even know and i have the answer in a sealed envelope and that's the stage shite one so it's our job to find out which story is the lie number one i was working on a play with one of my best friends and she asked me for my phone charger i told her it was in my handbag in the dressing room and about 10 minutes later, she approached me with what looked like a pregnancy test. And she told me that she had taken one of the tests from my handbag and took it for a joke. And she told me that she was pregnant. I had to tell her that she wasn't pregnant and that she had actually taken an ovulation test. And then in brackets, my husband and I were trying for a baby at the time. Number two, I recently had my industry showcase. I promise this isn't me. And I, I went to go and network with the agents after the show. And as I was walking through the stage, I heard one of my friends tell an agent that I was difficult to work with and I was a bit of an arsehole. I was heartbroken. Not only was it not true, I was devastated by the betrayal. Number three, in middle school, my drama teacher was a Christian conspiracy theorist. And one year he replaced the traditional Christmas pageant with the nativity story with a play about the rapture killing us all. He was fired before the start of the Christmas vacation. Oh my gosh some heavy hitters there yeah heavy hitters i don't i want number two to be the lie i really hope someone's friend didn't 
say that to them to an agent about them that would really that would hurt me so i hope for sake of humanity that that one's not true but i can see how it could be very real i can see how it could be real but you know i could also see how if it was real that in the end it didn't matter because that person who was spoken ill of got a better agent (laughs) hopefully fingers crossed yeah and the person who had to reduce themselves to that level of um back fighting um you know uh, what goes around comes around Mm. you know yeah karma definitely karma definitely yeah, does people's so. work for them so, but i'm gonna go for number two purely just because i don't want it to be true which one do you think's the lie which one of those three is the lie um i'm i'll go with you just because it would make me sad yeah that's the only reason i don't want it to be true i, I don't really there's some points where i'm like i don't care about the game i just hope somebody didn't get bad mouthed by their friend at their industry showcase it was number one yeah that's not <gasps> yet so number one so the ovulation test that the person thought was a pregnancy test was the lie so oh, uh, i like that one though yeah i like that one too but what i would just like to say is that i'm very sorry to the person who was bad bad talked um by their friend and i don't think you're difficult or hard to work with or an asshole so you're always welcome here i always try and end it on a positive note <laughs> Well, I think that's true. And and I, yeah, and I think that to the person who was bad mouthed, I think it's at some point it is incumbent upon you to say that you overheard this and that you think that that person is like out to lunch and that you are, you, you know, I think, you know, you, you have to, um, I, I think it's important to expose the truth. Yeah. I do. Rewrite and the I, I don't think it's appropriate to, yeah, I, I just don't think that that's appropriate. And I think it's really sad and pathetic. And yeah. um, we're not competing with each other. It'd be like, be like me saying I'm competing against you. Like, n- n- that's the thing that you have to understand when you're younger. Yeah. Is that you can sit in a room full of people auditioning, but you're not actually competing against any of those people because mm. none of those people are like you. Yeah, nobody does no, what you do. There's no, you know, I mean, unless you're identical twins there's no, or a clone, nobody does what you do. So you mm. just, for you to take the position that you've got to hurt somebody else is really, it's just silly. And mm-hmm. it's got to, you know, not be good for the soul. And no, no, then people hear not. that. And, you know, I think you should... Yeah, you should confront that person. And I also think, you know, I think you should, you know, just totally be like disgusting, like disgusting behavior. Yeah, I would I would also say that you must be doing something correctly because they spent their networking time at their showcase talking about you, which I think is quite hilarious. So you must be doing yeah, something right. Yeah, so they're really right. great. Yeah, so keep so up the work i know that's clearly yeah clearly somebody's really really scared and afraid and they think the only work, way they can get ahead is by knifing someone else in the back yeah you know i mean Not it's cool. just it's pathetic it's just pathetic um so we come to the end now where keep up can, the good work <laughs> yeah where can all of the listeners keep up to date with what you're doing and are you on social media i mean i know you are i'm on instagram <laughs> i I'm on Twitter, but I barely use it, but I am on Insta. My hashtag is Kate, C-A-T-E-C-U-R-T-I-N, Kate Curtin, C-A-T-E-C-U-R-T-I-N, Kate Curtin. And um, 
occasionally I look at my DM stuff, but not very often, like twice a year. And, but I do, I do occasionally post and I, I do look at, I do like to scroll through Instagram. I love to look at photos. So I love to like, yeah. I scroll through a lot mm-hmm. and I scroll through more than I post. And, um, same, you know, I'm, and my, you know, you go on IMDB and my manager is there. And if you want me to come and do something like contact my manager because he knows I'm crazy and I do tons of stuff. <laughs> yeah, but I will let you get back to normal life. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been such a pleasure and I am just in absolute all right. awe of you. Thank you. Uh, right back at you. And there we have it, another episode of Drama School Dropout, episode 67 completed. Thank you so much to Catherine for coming on the podcast, and make sure to follow us both on social media, which you'll find down in the show notes below. And if you're feeling extra generous, please leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It helps us out so much you don't even know, and it's free, so why not? And previously, this has only been applicable to everybody who's been listening on Apple Podcasts, but now, if you update your Spotify app, you can leave a rating and a review there too, so please go ahead and do that and make sure to click that subscribe button so that you get a notification every time a new episode drops on a Tuesday and remember if you have a story for stage right or stage shite please email us at dramaschooldropoutpod at gmail.com and remember you can also become an official drama school dropout by joining our Patreon which you'll find the link down below I'll be back again next week as per usual with a brand spanking new episode so make sure to get yourself back here next Tuesday for a brand new episode episode of Drama School Dropout. Have a great week, stay safe, I love you, bye. Drama School Dropout No graduation day for you Drama School Dropout Fucked your whole course, now try something new Drama School Dropout